Welcome to GovIT, a monthly podcast series from DLT, where we discuss the next generation of public sector IT solutions with the technology innovators driving the change. I'm your host, Tom Temin. Each month, we explore a different technology, what it is and how it can help public sector organizations achieve their modernization goals and accomplish their missions. This episode, we're sitting down with Chris Roberts, the Federal Technology Director at Quest Public Sector, to discuss the new federal administration's emphasis on data, including its use, protection, and storage. Chris, it's good to have you back. Good to be back. And let's talk about data, because that is really the top-of-mind issue for federal agencies, whether they want to generate the data, analyze the data, or protect the data. And, of course, that brings them to the question of where you keep your data, on-premises, where it's expensive and you've got infrastructure, or in the cloud, where it's not on-premises, but it could be expensive to download. All of these questions come up. What's your best thinking right now on best practice for data retention, storage, and so on? Data is a double-edged sword. So there's this habit, we tend to collect more than we actually need. The commercial market calls it digital exhaust, where pretty much every piece of data we generate is captured and stored somewhere. Some agencies are more efficient at it. Some, quite frankly, um, have been doing it a very long time. So our, our Intel infrastructure have been collecting large amounts of data for quite some time. I've gotten very good about storing it and how to protect it. The newer agencies are subject to the new federal data strategy, which is a part of federal legislation at this point to govern how we manage data across all these platforms, where it's stored, and particularly who has access to it and what it can be used for. So in a way, we are not really following the Europeans with their GDPR, but even here on-prem in the US, we've got to figure out exactly What rights do we have around data? What privacy can citizens expect? And how can the government do a better job of managing it, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud? Yes, because for data in the cloud, the presumption is nevertheless that it's still the agency's data and the cloud provider has no more right or anyone else to that data than they would if it was on-premises, any more than if you park your car in a garage at the airport, someone else can go drive it around while you're not there. Well, the important thing to remember about, about the cloud is really it's just infrastructure in someone else's zip code. You have released space on a server, whether it's Amazon, Google, Microsoft, or even one of the federal SIs that are hosting the data. The key point is that you are still responsible. When I say responsible, the agency's security practitioners, whether they're cyber, whether they're data focused, DevOps, for instance, they're responsible for protecting that data. So when you open or create, let's say an an Azure instance or an Amazon S3 bucket and you put your data there, it is now your job to ensure that you've got the right rights and privileges around that data. You have multi-factor authentication, you have FIP standard encryption, for instance, supported. You hear the stories um, in the commercial world about, I think it was Capital One that had a breach because one of the AWS buckets wasn't secured and it was open to the public to actually download and view this information. So even though you put it in the cloud with Microsoft or Amazon, you're still responsible for configuring the security around said data as it resides in the cloud. And by the way, if you live in the rest or Herndon area of Virginia, you might be in the same zip code as your data. (laughs) Yes, you will. All right. And moving on to another big Biden administration priority, and that is, of course, cybersecurity. Thousands of words of directives have been launched by the White House and OMB on cyber, and they specifically reference repeatedly zero trust. So doesn't take much listening to understand that federal agencies now are all thinking about zero trust. And what from the Biden signals do you see as actions agencies ought to be taking right now? First and foremost, I think this is unavoidable. I I think it's said it took this level of 
activity in both the private and the public sector to get us to the point where it's a national imperative. Uh, we've treated cybersecurity as kind of like, well, someone else is going to handle that and we don't have to think about it. Now it's put on pretty much everyone, whether you're an infrastructure provider that is ping power pipe on the network, for instance, whether you're a database administrator, whether you're an application developer, you all have to now consider security as part of that sort of, so to speak, end-to-end -end stack. That is, when I build an application, who's going to have access not just to the application, but do they have the rights and privileges based on their role to even access the data within an application? So for instance, when if I loaned you my phone and said, hey, you can use my phone to make a phone call. Am I saying that you can also use my Amazon app and order, order like a pallet of toilet paper? No. So it's the job now of everyone across those IT layers to ensure that the right privileges are assigned. In the old days, we called this the least privileged model, for instance, and now it's zero trust. And what it really simply says is based on who I am and what my role is in an organization, that determines exactly what type of data I have access to and what hoops I have to jump through to get access to said data. And it gets a little bit more complex because there might be a geographical component to the automated decision-making that takes place there, and perhaps even what device the person is using, whether they get the full privilege or conditional privilege. I mean, it, there's a lot of variables, aren't there? Absolutely. So we, we take this factor that if I have the right credential, I should get access to that data. When you think about it, um, I got notification one evening that someone in the Ukraine was trying to access my Instagram account. Well, I don't live in Ukraine. And fortunately, there was enough security policy in Facebook and Instagram to say, well, these two things don't add up. For instance, we know this is a US-based user, this request is coming from Ukraine. We do the same thing with geolocation for not just devices, but also for data. So for instance, if you are a sovereign country or you're in the United States government, you expect your data to reside in a US-based data center or a data center and pipes that are controlled by US entities, US-based personnel, et cetera. Same thing for other countries. So we have to do the same thing, not just geolocation, but also now figuring out exactly, is it the right device? Is it the right time zone, for instance? Is it the right IP? range for all these different factors come into play and it's very complex but when it's done right you can rest assured that your data is going to be secure and that probably mitigates in favor of employees not being able to move data to their own accounts for example because maybe the agency is likely to be using office 365 the federal instance of that will be conus but someone's private office 365 could be anywhere absolutely i think um one of the one of the best things that you will find about cloud-based services is that you can have multiple tenants and a tenant simply is a area of the cloud where your data resides. So for instance, AWS and Azure, for instance, or Microsoft's Azure, for instance, will have a commercial tenant where pretty much any commercial organization, even myself, I could fire up an instance and run data in the cloud or run applications in the cloud. And now we have government cloud or Azure government, what we call GCC, government cloud computing. And then even there, there are different regions of that. So you have GCC high, you have even what we call Azure secret and other, other regions which are disconnected from the internet. So just because you put something in the cloud doesn't mean it's all in the same bucket. You can protect it and you can ensure that it's in a specific specific region based on the level of security that's required for that application and data. And I want to talk about IT modernization because in some of the pandemic relief legislation, a billion dollars went to the government itself, not all expended yet. And there's still some debate as to whether the regular appropriations at this point will have further money for the technology modernization fund. But agencies can also establish their own revolving funds, a lot of financial or funding avenues to modernization. What's your sense of what the government is actually doing with respect to modernization? Or what should they so, be doing? 
Yeah, so this is, oh man, so modernization has been a topic of conversation since, I mean, 2010. Um, in earnest, they started talking about um, the Federal Data Center Initiative, then it was um, DCOI, the Data Center Consolidation. Um, now it's the IT Modernization Fund. There are different iterations of this. At the end of the day, it all comes back to a lot of the roots in FATARA. FATARA enables all this funding to flow typically. And while we change names and we change these, the executive orders around that, um, there is so much funding available right now. I think the confusion in a lot of agencies is, okay, can I use this funds to do this particular project. And the question you ask yourself is, are you meeting the requirements of FATARA and other broader infinite initiatives like FISM and FedRAMP to actually modernize something? So modernization can apply to the infrastructure, that is the lowest levels of the network, how we make, even how we make phone calls, how we do this particular meeting, how we run teams, but also to the applications. For instance, an application could have been written in 1974 in COBOL, and that code could still be used at IRS, for instance, or in some other agencies. I mean, NASA, for instance, has tapes that are so old, they need special hardware. So modernization can apply to both hardware, software, infrastructure services. The question right now is when you do modernize, are you putting yourself in a position where now the new platform is gonna be agile enough to survive the next decade or two and provide the requisite, requisite amount of security needed for that application and service. All right, and then yes, that idea of, of infrastructure and so forth, but then it goes up the food chain to the services offered and many times to offer modern services or upgraded services or that is to your own customers or to the constituents outside of the government that requires infrastructure that can support the types of code that offer services at the user level. Absolutely. And this is one of the important considerations for cloud in general. And that is once I use the cloud, we make an application we call cloud native, I'm now able to iterate that application and or service based on actual requirements, based on market changes or as technology changes. So for instance, you know, I no longer think of what powers my smartphone. I really don't think about the operating system in my laptop anymore. I'm looking really at the services those devices are actually consuming. So when I'm using an iPhone and I'm using iCloud, do I really care if it's an x86 server on the back end or a risk powered device, for instance, is it Linux? Is it, it doesn't really matter to me as, the, as a consumer. So when we consider all these different services that are available for instance, we now have to think about how do we enable the ability for us to create these agile platforms so I can change to the next platform or iterate to the next platform to ensure I no longer have to go after billions of dollars in funding to modernize something because it will be in perpetual state of upgradability, if that's a word. I'll use that one. <laughs> All right. And finally, you know, technology does change a lot. Is there any reliable or supportable way to try to not only stay up with what technology is coming out, that's relatively simple, but to have any kind of sense of the future so that you can, as an agency, as a practitioner in IT, kind of go to where the hockey puck will be, so to speak. So you have to follow the market and the market's a pretty broad term. So I don't mean just the financial market or the technology market. You have to follow your, 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 citizens, your citizens, for instance. You have to follow your alliance partners across the globe, for instance. Where are all the things leading? Right now, for instance, we talk about supply chain and the issues around supply chain and the global supply chain, what happened really at our ports, for instance, what's happened with consumers switching from really a service-based expenditure economy to more of a consumer goods consumption economy, again, for instance, 
all these things tend to head us in a direction where we've got to figure out exactly what are the right technology levers that are going to need to be pulled in the future, for instance. So me as a consumer, for instance, I'm thinking more of how will I stock up on the things that are important to me and how will that supply chain support that? The government's got to figure out exactly now, how do I enable all these levers across my economy to work together? It's like a, somebody described it as a relay race. It doesn't matter how fast you run your leg if the person who's going to pick up the next leg isn't there. Technology follows the same sort of like true truism. And that is, if I get to a point in my technology evolution or stats, so to speak, and the next iteration is not there or the next lever isn't there for me to pull, then things grind to a halt. Data centers fall, for instance, security collapses, for instance, and, and we have issues across the application and surface space. Well, lots to think about, as always. Chris Roberts is the Federal Technology Director at Quest Public Sector. Great to have you. Great to be here. Thanks for your time. For more on the Biden administration's tech agenda for government, please visit DLT.com. You've been listening to GovIT from DLT. We'll be back soon with more public sector IT content. I'm Tom Temin.